Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. This is the Adweek Podcast, where we talk about marketing, media, technology, pop culture, because in the end, everything is an ad. I'm David Greiner. I'm the international editor for Adweek. Uh, Shannon Miller, our co-host, is on assignment this week, uh, and uh, we'll be back soon. Um, but uh, we've got quite a few uh, folks to talk to today. It's going to be a really fun episode. Uh, we're going to be covering two things that are near and dear to my heart. One is space flight. I grew up in a NASA family, so I don't know, like with a lot of discussion around uh, Jeff Bezos uh, going into space uh, and the socioeconomic issues and many other things uh, that that brought up, uh, there is still, you know, I think it's worth taking a, a little time to uh, step back and think about what are some of the more interesting aspects. So, you know, moving past the billionaires, what else do we uh, have to think about the future of commercial space flight? To that end, uh, we have a really fascinating conversation between my colleague, uh, S- Stephen Lepetak, uh, our European bureau chief, uh, who is going to be talking to Trevor Beatty, a real uh, icon in the uh, European, in the, uh, the UK marketing scene, ad scene. Uh, and he is going to be on the first Virgin Galactic space flight. He's booked his seat. So we'll be talking to Trevor about why and what he hopes to get out of it, how he's feeling about it. It's a really fascinating conversation, so I think you'll really enjoy it. After that, we're going to be talking to two of my colleagues, Ronan Shields and Lucinda Southern, uh, who are heading up our Next Tech event, which is kicking off very shortly and is one of the biggest events we do at Adweek. Uh, it's focused on ad tech, martech, but just, uh, you know, honestly, the future of technology and how it intersects with advertising. Uh, some big, And this is a heck of a year uh, for to have these conversations. We're at a really as you'll hear, a really existential moment of the future of marketing and advertising and creativity. Uh, so you'll definitely want to stick around for that part of the conversation. With that, I'm going to kick it over to Stephen Lepetak uh, for his conversation with Trevor Beatty. Hope you enjoy. So I'm delighted, honestly delighted to be joined by one of the creative legends of British advertising. Uh, and it's so great to see you, Trevor. How are you doing? Hello, I'm I'm hot, but I'm okay. <laughs> Is that not generally true? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> hot but not bothered. I've never been bothered. Oh yeah, I've seen you. I've definitely seen you bothered about things. <laughs> um, it's been an incredible few weeks uh, when it comes to the space race of the billionaires. And when I was thinking about who who in the advertising sector knows more about this than anyone else, there was literally only yourself. Uh, can I ask? Could you explain what you're going to be doing? You're involved in one of the first flights when it comes to Virgin Galactic. So what are you going to be doing? I'm going to be going to space. There you go. I love saying that. <laughs> I'm going to bloody space. What are you going to do about it? Um, yeah, it, it, um, it has been a strange week. 
um, brought about by coincidence, you know, brought about by coincidence and COVID. Because were it not for COVID, I already would have been to space. So the whole notion of space race for billionaires was just a, a weird accident. Um, but those two flights came about within a few days of one another because we should have gone ages ago. Um, but because of lock, various lockdowns, uh, it, it, stopped, it delayed the test flight program. So it was actually just a coincidence that those two flights happened uh, um, so close to one another in the calendar. But it was by no means an intended, let's have a billionaire space race malarkey. But hey, kept Twitter happy. So that's the most important thing. How, how long, I mean, when did you first book up? When did this all become reality for you? Well, that's a really good question because there's, there's a kind of, um, there's a gap between it becoming reality and when I first wanted to go, you know, um, because I've wanted to go all my life. It, 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 um, I've, I've got it here for you. I'll wave this at the audio, but this is my space book, my space project, which I did when I was a child. Um, and that's when I wanted to go to space and I'm going next year. So in between times, um, what, what happened was, I think it was 2003, 2004, I get confused. It was so long ago. Um, uh, Paul Allen, um, put forward the, the X prize, the X prize plan, which was, uh, send two humans to space, bring them back safely, and then repeat the stunt within the next two weeks. And if you did that, you won the X Prize. And um, this was such a long time ago, and I was fascinated by this very notion, you know, because it was very um, Phileas Fogg, you know. It was almost Victorian in what, you got to send two herbits to space and bring it back and do it again, okay. And so you had blokes on the Yorkshire Moors, you know, strapping rockets to their backs and blasting off for a, for a few years and um, not succeeding. And then um, Branson went to a genius who's been undermentioned in the last week, actually, called Bert Rutan. Um, and Bert Rutan has, in the last 20, 30 years, designed, built and flown more aeroplanes than types than Boeing and Airbus put together. The man is a genius. And so Richard quite rightly went to Bert and said, look, I'm, I'm fancy winning this X prize thing. How do I do it? And uh, and Bert wasn't really interested because Bert wants to go to Mars. So the idea of suborbital flight um, was a bit like Lewis Hamilton in Black Cab. You know, it was a bit, really, must I? Uh, do I have to do this, Richard? And, and Richard said, yeah, for God's sake, just tell me. And he said, well, I can do it. I can solve it in two words, you know. But it was two bloody words, you know. And it was, um, the two words were air launch. Um, and so uh, Bert designed um, what was then Spaceship One with the mothership, flies to 50,000 feet, releases the rocket, fires the burner, goes up very quickly. And um, so they did that and they launched it. And hey, presto, it went to space on the first flight. And I thought, okay, this is going to happen. Richard's going to win the X Prize, and uh, I need to be on it. So then, because I then knew he'd set up a space line, you know. So, so I, I didn't really know Richard. I met him a couple of times. I didn't really know him, 
But I, I got through to his people that day in, in London and said, look, I know you're going to do the second flight in two weeks and I know you're going to win the X Prize. So um, uh, can I come over to the test flights and see it? And Richard called my bluff and got back to me within 10 minutes and said, we're not doing it in two weeks' time. We're doing it the day after tomorrow. Uh, so why don't you go to LA tomorrow? And I said, okay, I'll call your bluff. I'll book my ticket now. I'm going to LA tomorrow. So I went to Heathrow, flew to LA the next day, and um, no sleep, went straight to Mojave, um, up at 4 a.m., astronauts breakfast, um, watched them wheel out the Spaceship One, Brian Biddy on board, took off, went space. He won the X Prize. And Bert Rutan immortally said that day, um, NASA nil, Spaceship One which was fantastic. Um, and then I found myself on this huge, you know, kind of selling moment. I found myself on this huge table world press conference with Bert Rutan and Richard and Brian Benny all lined up talking about winning the X Prize and me, the Herbert on the end going, hello. And them saying, and we've got a customer who's already wants to go. We haven't got a company yet, but you know, he's ready to go. And I'm going, where do I sign? Um, there wasn't even at that point, a a Virgin Galactic company. It was an idea, you know, that Richard had had. But he'd formally won the X Prize. He'd gone to space. Uh, well, you know, the craft had gone to space and um, we were good to go. And then that was probably the, I think that was October. And I, I left that press conference and I got on, got in a taxi. I went to LAX and I flew back to London. And I was back in the office the next day. And the weird thing was a couple of guys came in the next day and said, shit, Trev, you missed this great thing yesterday. Branson's done this space thing. You'd have loved it. It was all over the telly, you know. And I thought, yeah, man, I was there, you know. No, no, it was on telly yesterday. It was in LA. Yeah, I know I was actually there. That's why I looked like shit, you know. I've just gone back to my life. So that was, that's how I got involved. That was the October. And then I think in the, the following spring, um, I had a crazy week because I, in the same week, I set up B&B. And I bought my ticket on Galactic in the same week. Um, it left me with £11 of all my life savings, everything I owned. I set up my own agency and bought a ticket to space and had £11 left um, for the next two years. Um, and that's when I bought my ticket. And that was 2004 or five. Um, and then it's been a... a and then it's been a waiting game, but given as I've waited all my life to get to space, I can always wait a few more months. Not a problem. No problem. What What did you make then of the 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 event and all the razzmatazz around the the first flight uh, a couple of weeks ago? Um, I find it quite emotional. Um, whenever I watch Galactic, you know, it, it wasn't the first flight. It wasn't the first time they'd sent humans up there. As I said, you know, it was the first time they'd had a fully crewed, um, you know, six humans aboard. That was a first. But I find looking at the, the whole the footage of the whole process, deeply it deeply affects me. I find it quite emotional um, to see to see it fly and come back. Um, so yeah, I cut my eyes out. I always do um, when I see Galactic Go. It's a very special. It's a very special thing for me. It's a fun. It's a fundamental thing, you know. Well, it's a big, deep, deeply affecting thing. 
and so once you've 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 had your flight, which still must feel you still must pinch yourself that it's going to happen. But what will be? What do you think will be the your role afterwards? Will you become an ambassador for Virgin Galactic? What? How? How will you be involved in promoting it? Oh God, I'll be boring. I'm boring now. Imagine how boring I'm going to be when I come back. It's going to be a fucking nightmare. Um, you know, there's always a bore at the bar of telling telling people what they did, and I'm going to be a nightmare. Um, yeah. Yeah, I am going to be. I am already an ambassador. You know, I often joke with them that I feel as if I I work for Galactic, but I'm not a customer. I've always felt that. I've always felt I work for Galactic because I I love them. I love what they're doing, um, and um, I'll always talk them up. Um, and as I say, it'll be a deeply emotional time for moment for me. Uh, I, you know, the best I can, having studied this for a lifetime. The best expression I can make of it is that it's the ultimate form of homesickness. I think that's what it is. I think that, you know, I'm proud to say Buzz Aldrin is a friend of mine. So I've spoken to moonwalkers and they're all profoundly affected by the trip. Well, I'm only dipping my toe in it. You know, I'm having a bloody moon. I'm not going, you know, I'm not doing, dare, dare call myself an astronaut, you know. But it does profoundly move you. And I, and I talking to them, I think it's generally a form of homesickness to look back on Earth, either from a quarter of a million miles around the moon or, or, or from 60 mile up and see it. I genuinely believe that you look at the place and think, yeah, that's home. That's home. Um, and you see how thin the atmosphere is and you genuinely come back with a greater love of that place because you don't want to leave it. Um, I don't want to go to Mars. Um, I want to go to space and come back. And, and I think that... Um, is the ultimate homesickness to see what we are and see what we have, see its fragility, and then come back as an advocate and ambassador to, to protect it. I just genuinely believe that. Uh, and that's what will happen. And I'll be a boring, protective bastard. So when, when are you scheduled to fly? Well, it's not scheduled yet. We've got two more test flights. Um, we know the kit works. Were it not for COVID, I'd have been in New Mexico last week. It's ironic that I've got a rocket ship ready to take me to space, but I haven't got an Airbus that can take me to LA. <laughs> you know, that guts me. Uh, I, I got an invite from Richard to go uh, to, to be on the flight line last week, but it was too late because if I'd have gone, it means I'd, I'd have had to have sat in a travel tavern in New Mexico for 10 days and I'd have missed the trip. I'd have missed the, the, the flight, you know, so... I couldn't. I couldn't have gone. Um, there'll be two more test flights, and and then I'll go early next year. Uh, no dates yet. God knows you'll hear about it when I've got a date. I can't <laughs> I'll get well, the t-shirt printed. You know. Uh, I can't. I can't wait. I mean, I've been <coughs> talking to to you about space for years now. So good luck when it finally comes. And because you're wonderful. Thanks. It's uh, it, it's not going to let me down. I'm not going to come back and say, do you know what? It wasn't as good as I thought it might be. (laughs) (laughs) You better not. (laughs) It was a bit disappointing, really. It wasn't as blue as I thought it might have been. A mate of mine says, travel narrows the mind. And I love that phrase. But uh, he says, oh, you look forward to going to a place, you go there and it's a bit shit. And travel narrows the mind. Uh, I think space is one, uh, uh, space blows the mind. So I don't think there's any chance of me going, it wasn't what I expected it to be, 
Um, I mean, that's probably enough for the interview, but I'm curious, do you think this is the start of, is this going to be the next generation or generations to come? Is this going to be opening up of space? Do you really believe that? Yeah, I, I think that we have to get a bit more nuanced from the current fury on Twitter of it's a billionaire space race and isn't space shit. You know, um, people typing that on their satellite-driven phones from their sat-nav-driven cars. You know, we live through space. Uh, why aren't they feeding the poor? Well, we are feeding the poor by using satellite technology to find out where to grow crops and where the next flood's going to be. We only find out about climate emergency through satellite uh, information. Space is not the future, it's the now, you know. Um, but given that it's the now, space is our, our all. So it is our, it's our science and it's our navigation and it's our communication and it's our television. But you know what? It's also our art. And there's no harm in that. There is no harm in me going to space and having my mind blown and coming back a better human. I'll defend that. You know, that's art and that's cool and it's poetry and it's lovely. There is no harm in that. When they when they first offered us the iPad, I remember thinking, I don't know what this is for. I don't understand. For the first time, it was kind of an invention without a need. It was, here's a thing I've invented, and you go and find a really need for it. And that blew my mind versus the notion in the past, which was, I'd really like to fly. Can you build me something that will enable me to fly, please? Yeah, it's called an aeroplane. Here you go. Right, I need to drive along the ground much quicker than a horse. Can you not like, build me a thing that does that yeah it's a car horseless carriage here we go and then here's a piece of glass do with it what you will and I loved that and now look what now we use iPads in surgery you know who knows what's going to come of what is currently considered recreational activity to space we don't know because because experiments have been carried out in suborbital flight for example but away from the science there is no wrong in art and poetry and beauty, because that is the human existence. You know, and, and at the minute it's all very binary, it's all very, oh, it's millionaires going, it's billionaires going to space, it's a billionaire race. But can we get through that now and and go beyond and so it's gonna happen next? Because ain't gonna stop. We're gonna keep exploring, we're gonna keep going, you know. It's lovely to see you. And it's lovely to hear you talk about it as well, because you're right, there's been a lot of cynicism, but there's a lot to enjoy right now. It's been mm-hmm. We don't talk enough about what uh, trying to get off this planet anymore, and there's a there's a lot still to be done there. Well, it's mental. I did a commercial for PlayStation a century ago called yeah. Mental Wealth. It's mental wealth. It's not financial wealth. You know, it's mental wealth. When the first flights across the Atlantic happened, they cost an absurd amount of money. And flights to space, the more people go, the more the price will reduce. But more important than that, ultimately, it's about feeding the soul and the art and the mental wealth. And I'll be a better and more creative person having done this because it's all I've ever wanted to do. And more people need to go to space to experience that. And let's get through the cynicism of it. Um, thank you again, Trevor. Uh, and I'll line when there's more. I'm going to chase you on this one when we get closer to it. Now you know where I am. I can't escape. Love it. Take care. Thank you very Cheers, much. Cheers, man. Thanks very much. Bye. Bye. 
All right, we're back. Uh, and uh, so thanks again to Stephen Lepetak for that conversation. Uh, we're going to move on to another uh, big thing for uh, for us here at Adweek, for the industry, uh, is our Next Tech event. Uh, this is one of our biggest events we put on uh, each each year. And to uh, to talk about with me, two of my colleagues here from the Adweek newsroom, we've got Ronan Shields and Lucinda Southern, uh, who uh, cover uh, ad tech media and uh, really a lot of the issues that are going to be featured here. Ronan, to start us out, uh, remind us what is Next Tech? How do we decide exactly who uh, we want to be speaking and what topics we want to be covering at this event? Okay. Oh, well, uh, Next Tech, it's uh, now a three-year show. This will be the third year. And um, basically, it's uh, the programming reflects uh, kind of what we in the newsroom see as to what are the big trends that are influencing the advertising industry as regards uh, MarTech and ad tech. You can group all those things together, which I know is not a terribly concise answer, but um, yeah, that's uh, that's about as good as I got right now. <laughs> all right, um, and uh, Lucy, this is I think your first uh, your first next tech. Correct. Yeah, uh, this is my next tech debut, so I am very excited. Well, tell us what uh, I think for people who follow these spaces of ad tech and martech probably know uh, some of what you're about to say. But for uh, those of us who maybe just sit around writing about dumb ads every day uh, and and who tune into this podcast to hear about dumb ads each week, uh, why don't you tell us some of the biggest issues that it, this is a kind of like a, a big year uh, for these industries in terms of some of the, the very existential issues that are, are facing. What are some of the biggest things on the minds of the folks who are going to be speaking and attending this event? Yeah, totally. I mean, it feels like a big year in just so many ways. But one of the biggest shockwaves was uh, Google's announcement that it was postponing deprecation of third-party cookies uh, until 2023. So that is going to be one of the major things that comes up um, in most of the sessions. There's just a real concern that, like zombies, the ad industry could be sleepwalking through the next 18 months and let some tech giants or tech vendors or companies whose motivations maybe aren't that transparent decide the direction of the ad industry and those solutions for cookie targeting and measurement. So we really want to hear from these practitioners and for the people who are like making decisions on the buy and the sell side and the people who are really testing out those solutions already. Ronan, tell us about um, maybe is is there one or two presentations that come to mind or speakers that you think people are really going to be eager to hear from about some of these topics? Yeah, uh, there's a few personal uh, faves. So, um, well, I think one of the most interesting things, and uh, this probably comes from your side of the fence, David, is uh, we're going to have um, Mark Reed, who's the CEO of WPP. Uh, he's going to be in conversation with Lisa Granitstein. And um, that is basically uh, what they're going to discuss is Given this shifting landscape, uh, where do the holding groups come into things? Because uh, typically, day to day, myself and Lucy uh, will be writing about media owners and um, a lot of the big platforms. And when we say platforms, we mean companies like Google, Facebook, Amazon, et cetera, et cetera. So I think one of the most interesting things we want to talk, cover off is just where do the agencies fit in? So Mark Reed will be there. I will also be in conversation with Samarstan Sorrell of Export um, Capital and the New Look Holding Group that he is trying to construct uh, amidst these shifting sands. So I think they will be interesting. Uh, other good people to look out for will be Anna Milovic uh, from Spiral Advisors. She will be kicking us off on day two. She's always good quality. And then other big names on the docket are um, Jeff Green, who's the CEO of the Trade Desk. 
Um, I that's another conversation I'll be having. He's a man that made a demand side platform, which is probably um, a, an obscure term in um, the, the wider advertising conversation, but he helped build that into a $32 billion company. Like that's bigger than three of the biggest holding groups put together, just crazy. So he's always a good person to speak to. And then my personal fave is Ari Paparo, who is the uh, Oracle of ad tech Twitter. Oh, wow. I, I don't, I, I, that's a, obviously an account I should be following then. I, I feel like I've been missing Absolutely. out. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Lucy, I, I feel like, like one thing too, is that if, if you do not work in this industry day to day, if you're not in ad tech, if you're not like, uh, you know, really neck deep in this stuff, I feel like it's worth, uh, checking out these talks if for no other reason than to know what your parent company, uh, is going to be acquiring <laughs> over the next year or two. And then also like who is going to be offering tons of jobs over the next few years. Uh, I don't know. Is that, is that fair uh, assessment of why anyone outside of ad tech should be paying attention to some of these issues? I think that's a totally fair, um, fair way of putting it for sure. There's going to be um, loads of different tech out there as well. That's just going to be coming on the market and flooding people's inboxes as well to, for different people who want to be, trying out these solutions so and I mean maybe we're going to be doing some sort of a buzzword bingo at the beginning of each day so we can really like break down some of the jargony stuff so that we can make it as accessible for everyone who's going to be listening but uh yeah absolutely outside of ad tech and all people welcome yeah I I think like it was actually a really helpful moment for Mountain which I think now styles itself MNTN the connected tv platform uh for them to acquire uh, maximum effort uh, marketing uh, from Ryan Reynolds, and and bring him on board. I think what what really helped about that was that it it kind of forced some of us who are more focused on the creative side to really learn more about this convergence of uh, well, and you know, convergence by way of acquisition <laughs> of uh, mm-hmm. of you know the these platforms and creativity and how you know. I, I'm not going to get into one of my weird things that I love to talk about, which I'm not going to bore anybody with on this podcast. Uh, you can email me uh, if if you would like to hear more uh, at uh, podcast at adweek.com. But uh, in the 80s, media and creativity were all part of the same agencies. They were all under one roof uh, and they split for somewhat obvious reasons. Like uh, companies felt that they could make a lot more money uh, spinning off their their media departments into standalone media agencies, which is now kind of the makes sense. Uh, but now there's this almost reversal of that, uh, which is something we've been seeing where media agencies are like, well, we want more. Not only do they want more tech solutions, they're acquiring those, but they want more creativity. They want content studios. They want to be back under the roof uh, of creating uh, content, which is exactly why uh, Mountain uh, acquired Maximum Effort. Uh, we'll be talking to their uh, CEO uh, at Next Tech. And uh, I, I will be I will be talking to the, <laughs> the CEO at, uh, at uh, Next Tech. Um, but uh, Lucy, tell us about some of the sessions that you're looking forward to. I think yeah, it's a really good point. There's going to be a lot of other household names as well on uh, on the bill. Um, I'm going to be speaking with uh, BuzzFeed, Nilla Ali at BuzzFeed, uh, along with some uh, folks, Megan Walton at Vox Media. And we're going to be talking a lot about the really exciting world of measurement. But, uh, you know, in the post-cookie world, with if advertisers can't measure, if they don't have ROI, what's that going to do to budgets and spend and uh, where's that all going to be shifted? 
Um, another one that I'm really looking forward to is um, on the third day, on Wednesday, I'm going to be speaking with Sasha Heroy, who's the senior director at the New York Times, and also uh, Michael Balabanov from The Guardian. Um, and we are going to be, because they've all had really different approaches to uh, ID tech and identity targeting. And they've been both quite vocal about uh, the different types of solutions that they're going to be uh, that they're going to be trying to test out for their their different organizations. Um, so yeah, really look forward to digging into how they differ and also what's going to make them uh, you know future proof their business more. Well, um, it has been so great to hear from you both. I am very excited about this event. I really do feel like, as, as we mentioned, this has been a very big year. We're no longer just talking about, uh, oh, you know, little competing technologies or how might they integrate AI into stuff. I mean, now we're talking about how will advertising work <laughs> moving forward in the future? What will it look like? What will agencies look like? Uh, I really encourage everyone to check it out. Uh, it's easy to find. You can just look for Next Tech. That's N-E-X-T-E-C-H, uh, Adweek Next Tech. Uh, if you Google that or if you go to the Events tab on Adweek, you will find it. You'll get all sorts of information. Uh, and Ronan and Lucinda Southern, our guests today, will be there as well. Uh, so definitely tune in to support them. Uh, Ronan and Lucy, thanks so much for uh, for coming on the show this week. Thanks Thank for having us. very much. Hope to see you all at Next Tech. Bye. All right. Uh, well, our theme music is by Home. This week's episode was produced by Nick Gardner and edited by Lane McGibney. If you haven't already, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Those reviews mean a lot to us personally, and they help new listeners discover the show. You can reach us anytime at podcast at adweek.com. That's podcast at adweek.com. For Adweek, I'm David Greiner, and we will be back next week. 